Let's uh, look here at Mark chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 1 through 12. And again he entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. Immediately many gathered, so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. And they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately, when Jesus perceived in his heart that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, Why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Arise, take your bed, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, Arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went out in the presence of all, so that they were amazed and glorified God, saying, We have ne we never saw anything like this. Amen. And may God bless the reading of his word to us this morning. Let's uh, pray once more before we study this wonderful portion of Scripture together. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word that we have read now. As we come to examine it together, we pray that we would not examine it through eyes of human wisdom, but that you might grant us understanding by the amazing work of your Spirit within us. Help us to see you more clearly. Help us to see that you are God and to trust you more and more and more, no matter what our circumstances might be. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as we uh, start off today, I'd like to remind you of something that I've said a few times this series, but I didn't say it last week. So I think it's okay if I remind you of that again today. And that is that every single gospel account, that is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, work together to show us the person of Christ. Now, if we had any one of those four accounts of Jesus' life and ministry, we would have more than enough to believe that he was fully man, capable of representing us to pay for our sins. But as a man, he couldn't pay for our sins, but we would also have enough to believe that he is fully God, therefore great enough to carry the burden of the weight of our sins. We would have enough from any one gospel account to know that Jesus did incredible things, amazing things, that he is a riveting, incredible person to see revealed in these pages. And that we have to trust him fully. Having any one of these accounts would be more than sufficient for us. But God in his goodness has given us four. He's given us four gospel accounts. And that is a wonderful thing. Now what we read today is recorded in three of those four gospel accounts. It's here in Mark 2, 1 to 12, which we've just read. It's in Matthew chapter 9, verses 1 to 8. And it's in Mark, uh, Luke chapter 5, verses 17 through to 25. Now, what's interesting when we look at this is that Mark, who's normally the, the briefest recorder of the things that Jesus did as he goes from one thing to the next to the next, actually spends more time on this than Matthew. 
Now it's not a whole heap more time than Matthew, just a little bit more. It's interesting that he does this. Now part of the reason for this is that Matthew was written for a, a, a Jewish audience. And some of the things we come up today, if you're reading it with a, a Jewish background at the time particularly, or today, you go, I see the issues that are being raised here. But Mark being written primarily for people who, or for his first audience, were people in the Roman Empire who didn't really know about Judaism or the events that had taken place in the Old Testament. There's things here that need just a, a tiny bit more explanation. So I think this is why Mark fleshes it out a little bit more. Now, every time this is recorded, we see the same incredible things happen. We see the interaction between Jesus and the scribes. We see a paralytic man get up and walk. We see Jesus healing this paralytic man. We see Jesus knowing what's happening in people's hearts. These are things that, that no man can do. It's incredible in all of them. But I just note that because there, there are differences in how they're recorded. They're not massive differences, but they're, they're worth noting because, again, each of the Gospel authors, they're trying to get across specific things that others might not emphasise quite as much. Present in all of the Gospel accounts, but maybe not emphasised quite so much. So we see... Mark recording this for us. He's recording this for us in, yes, a little bit more detail, but it's still that same punchy, snappy way of writing that he has. Now, as helpful as that is for people like me who like action point followed by action point followed by action point, we need to remember that we're entering the second chapter of Mark. And Mark's Gospel, 16 chapters, covers three, maybe three and a half years of Jesus' ministry here on earth. Because of how punchy it is, sometimes it can be hard to figure out how much time has passed between different interactions. Last week we finished off with, uh, with Jesus healing a man who was a leper. Uh, that's an incredible thing. But also Jesus unable to go back into the city. Now, we see here in Mark 2, after some days, we don't know the exact time frame, but after some days, Jesus returned back into the city. Matthew 9 helps us fill in a little bit of a gap there, and it tells us that Jesus had been on the other side of the Sea of Galilee before he returned in a boat. He comes back in a boat to Capernaum. So, we don't know how many days have passed, but it's not immediately following what we just saw. Mark keeps the story moving so that our interest in Christ remains... Uh, um, paralleled. This, this, this is a man we need to pay attention to. This is God. Keeps it rolling. So it's a few days later. We don't know how many days later, though. There's quite down enough for Jesus to be able to return back to Capernaum and enter into the house. Now, there's lots of discussion. What is the house? Was this some local meeting place that people knew called the house? Was this some local cafe that everyone just knew? Well, people, what sort of place is this? Well, the reality is, we don't know. Maybe this is Peter's house, maybe it's somebody else's house. It's just called the house. Wherever this house is, it's in Capernaum. That's not the point. The point is, Jesus is there. We look at verse 2, he preached the word to them. We see what he is doing there, and people come to him in verse 3. He is there, he is present, he is engaging the people in God's word, and people are coming. 
people are coming so that there's no room in this house anymore. You can almost imagine people just sort of flowing in out of windows, leaning into windows just to be just be part of what's happening to see this incredible authoritative preaching of the word that Jesus is doing. This is what he's doing. He's preaching the word of God to them. Again, we see that in verse 2. People are hearing the word of God. Now, we might be wondering, why is that so significant? Well, last week, Jesus said, and the disciples came to him and said, people want to know more about what you're doing. Can you go and spend time with the crowds? Jesus said, let's go on to the next towns because I need to preach the word to them. I need to teach them. This is why I came. You look at Romans chapter 10. Romans 10 talks in there about how people come to faith. And how are people meant to come to faith? How should they believe if they do not hear the word? Jesus is teaching. Jesus is preaching with authority the word of God. It is through the word of God that we see as a primary means by which souls are saved. How should they believe if they do not hear? This is a crucial, exciting thing that is happening. And people are responding, people are coming. Because in the context of a house in Capernaum, amazing things are about to unfold and are unfolding right now. Uh, I might have perhaps emphasised those first few verses a little bit too much. But again, as I said last week, the miracles that Jesus did confirm who he is and they confirm that his teaching is worth listening to. We need to remember that while we're about to see an incredible miracle that Jesus does, the preaching and who he is are still absolutely vital for us to grasp as we look at this. So we get to verse 3. And people are coming to Jesus. Yes, people are coming to Jesus, but out of all the people coming to Jesus, we begin to zoom in on five particular people. They came to him, bring a paralytic. Here's the first of the five we see here, carried by four men. That's five people in verse 3, specifically singled out of all these people coming to see Jesus. Now they arrive a mat with a man lying on it. But the place is packed. Now when it comes to being late to church, I think, you know, organising to pick up your paralysed mate and get him there is probably an understandable reason to be a little bit late this morning. This is where things begin to unfold for us this morning. This is where, as much as Mark wants us to grasp the preaching the teaching of Jesus is important, his person of Godhood, right there for us, we begin to see him back that up with what happens here. Packed house, a paralysed man being carried by four mates. And there's something else we need to have in mind for the context of what's about to happen. It's that the scribes are hanging out with Jesus here. Now, it's not really touched on here, but it's implied more in both Matthew and Luke's Gospels. The scribes are almost hanging out there to 
to see if Jesus is about to make a mistake. Is this guy who is so popular, we don't like his popularity, about to make a mistake that we can pounce and kick him out and people will come back to listening to us because we are the keepers of religion, we are the keepers of right and wrong, people should do what we say, why are they listening to Jesus? These guys are in the house too. Now again, it's not explicit here in Mark's Gospel, but this is why they're there. So keep that in mind. These guys are listening for anything that could sound heretical, anything that could sound new, different, out of line. They're there to keep an eye on all of these things. So the four men, they arrive with their paralyzed mate. They, they can't get into the house. But they know they need to get their mate to Jesus. So they go up on the roof. They break through the roof. And obviously roofs were designed quite differently back then. We could talk about that, but that's not really the point this morning. They uncover a section of this differently designed roof than what we have today. And they lower this paralyzed man down before Jesus. Incredible scene of faith. And verse 5. When Jesus saw their faith. Now this is a man who is not distant. Verse 41 of chapter 1. Jesus moved with compassion. This is a man who felt things, who loved people. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. Now, if you open up commentaries about what's happening here, you're going to find a lot of discussion about whether the faith that's present here is saving faith, or whether it's just the, the faith, the trust that Jesus can heal people as he's been doing and heal more powerfully than any doctor, as he's demonstrated many times through, through Mark already. There's a lot of debate as well about whether the, the faith Jesus saw is out of the four men plus the paralyzed man, or just the paralyzed man. We can get into those things, but I don't think they really help. But I will say that I think it's quite likely the faith could be real. We don't have enough to say anything definitive, but I certainly wouldn't rule it out. Now the faith seems to be a faith of all of them. These four men are so committed, so faithful to getting this man to Jesus, knowing that he can do something to help their mate out. They go up on the roof, they break through the roof, they lower their mate down into this crowded room right before Jesus. Jesus saw their faith. Now to a point it can be helpful to, to focus on those things, but it could very easily turn into us majoring on the minors. Jesus is about to do something here. Something that is more teaching moments, miracles, and simply the amazing all just roll together. Now these guys have brought their mate to Jesus to be healed. What did Jesus say at the end of verse 5? Son, your sins are forgiven you. You pause there, don't you? You wonder if those men who brought their friend to see Jesus, the paralyzed man himself, would have been disappointed with that response. Being, well, that's a lovely thing to say, but I was really hoping I'd actually be able to get up and walk out of here today. I came here for my legs, and I still can't move. Well, what's going on here? 
And then, remember the scrubs there, they, they're keeping on things that are provocative out of the normal, who might be anything that they consider heretical. Your sins are forgiven you. That is a provocative statement. Perhaps it left disappointment in some people going, we're really hoping you get up and walk, not just the five guys involved, the four men and the paralyzed man. But Jesus goes and says something provocative. Your sins are forgiven you. Now, we do need to note quickly that Jesus is not affirming the view that sometimes pops up today and was quite present at the time when Jesus was here on earth, that sin caused sickness as a result of God's immediate judgment. And when I say that, of course, you can say that all sickness is a result of sin. But the view was that if you were suffering from, say, blindness, as we see as other people, uh, paralysis like this man, the assumption would have been in the minds of the people, you've done a horrific thing by God and this is your immediate punishment. Jesus is not affirming that view. And quite simply, if that view was true, there would have been no one even remotely healthy at the time. It was a belief held to by many, but there would have been no healthy people if that was true. Now, as I said, I'm sure there were probably a, a lot of mixed reactions to the words of Jesus in verse 5. I'm not sure what your immediate reaction is. Again, perhaps confusion and disappointment for some. I'm paralyzed man, my sins are forgiven, but I, I still can't walk. Confusion, perhaps. For others, outrage. Outrage at what Jesus had said. Those six words, Son, your sins are forgiven you, are absolutely loaded in the culture in which Jesus lived. The scribes were triggered by this. They are words that no one would ever have been able to get away with saying 2,000 years ago in Israel. And you know what the reality is? No one should be able to say that today. If someone walks up to you and says, I forgive you for your sins. we got some problems with that, don't we? How could that person forgive me for my sins? If someone came to me and said, I forgive you for your sins, they have no right to forgive me for their sins. They have no ability to forgive me for my sins. Because my sins are not wrongs against them, they are wrongs against God. Therefore, God alone can forgive me for my sin. Do we see what Jesus is saying here? Jesus is saying this statement here, in public, in a packed house, people trying to get into this packed house, your sins are forgiven. Jesus is saying, I have the ability to forgive sins. I am God. Jesus is claiming to be God right here. What the scribes think in their hearts in verse 7 is correct. Who can forgive sins? Only God can forgive sins. They are so right. They are so right. But they are also so wrong. They are 100% correct that only God can forgive sins, but they completely ignore the fact that there is someone standing right before them who they can audibly hear with their ears. God himself the one saying this 
has the authority to forgive sins. And Jesus, as I said before, he shows that he's more than a man by knowing what's going on in their hearts without them saying anything. Jesus says, why are you pondering these things in your heart? Why are you pondering these things in your heart? And Jesus says, what's easier to say? Okay, let's have a discussion about it. There is a sense of reasonableness to Jesus. Ask them what's easier. To say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk. Now that right there would have been that's a difficult question. Because as much as the Pharisees really did struggle with hypocrisy, they would have thought that they were honest, upright people of integrity. Or at least for the most part. Now, apart from the religious outrage going on here, Jesus asks a really pointy question. Really, what's easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or get up and walk? Now, the reason that becomes a loaded question, but also a very, very important question to ask, is which of those sayings has proof? You can say to someone, get up and walk. If they don't get up and walk, you can see pretty clearly that you don't have the power or the authority to tell them to do that. It is evident right there that you're a fraud. If you say to someone your sins are forgiven you, there's often no immediate external change that's happened. Over time you might go, okay, yeah, there's been some changes take place here, but at the time, which one's easier to say? In some ways it's actually easier to say. As wrong as it is to say if you're not God, but in some ways it's actually easier to say Your sins are forgiven you. Because again, to say get up and walk, if nothing happens, there is proof right there that you're you're clearly and evidently just not able to do that. And as much as Jesus was here to teach that we might understand God, we might understand his nature. We might understand our nature. Our need to repent and confess our sins and then live in joy and gratitude before the face of God. As much as Jesus was about teaching, he wanted us to see that he did have power and he was still a man of action. We see verse 10. I think you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. What we see in verses 10 and 11 and 12 show us that the moment Jesus said those provocative words in verse 5, son, your sins are forgiven you, that from that moment in verse 5, this paralyzed man had been forgiven for his sins. But they might know, they might know with certainty, with proof, as I say at the end, we never saw anything like this. Nothing compares to this is what they're saying there. Jesus is putting it all on the line. Now just pause there at the end of verse 11. Jesus just said, get up, grab your bed, grab your mat, walk, go home. We see how much is riding on this. If this 
paralyzed man does not get up and walk, our response should be to close this, probably throw it away. If Jesus isn't God, what are we doing? If Jesus isn't God, if Jesus tells this man to get up and walk and he doesn't, why would the crowds continue to listen to him? There's no reason for any of it. Both in that room and for us today, there is a lot riding on this. Jesus made a claim to be God. Jesus said, oh, I'm about to give you proof. We need verse 12. And verse 12 tells us that this man got up, he packed up his bed, and he walked home. He walked home. And people were amazed. And people glorified God because they saw this for the reality that it was. Now we had people today saying, that that, 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 that that didn't happen. No way, do not believe it, that was not what happened. It was a hoax. It was a setup. But for this paralyzed man to survive, he would have been on the streets begging for money. People would have been walking past him in those streets of Capernaum. You know what? There is a pretty much certain guarantee that someone in that room would have stood up and said, no, 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 no that guy's never actually paralyzed. I've never seen him begging for money. It's all a setup. This is an actor we've not seen him begging before. But that is not the reaction. This man is recognized by everyone there as a paralytic man. And now... He is recognized as a formerly paralytic man who is able to pack up his bed and walk home. There is no contention to that. This is a hook that Jesus makes his claim of divinity here, and it stood the test. It stood the test. They were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this in a. In Luke's Gospel, in chapter 5, it's recorded there the crowd said, We've seen strange things today. Amazing things. Incredible things. And they were not wrong to glorify God. There's a maze, and there's some other that can't say there's a pretty hint of fearfulness here. As amazed and fearful as they were, they were absolutely right to glorify God. They realized that God had done something amazing there that day. And they had witnessed it with their eyes. Now for the crowds, the most amazing thing is quite probably this paralyzed man getting up and walking. And that, well, I don't want to say that's less than amazing. It absolutely was amazing, but there's something even more amazing than that. And the more amazing thing is that Jesus says, so that you would know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. I'm going to say, say to this man, get up and walk. If he gets up and walk, you know I can forgive sins. Sin has been forgiven. Now, 
This man had not lived a good life being physically paralyzed. But we, we see here that the paralysis was more than just more than just physical, it was spiritual. And he was spiritually paralyzed until his sins had been forgiven. And in fact, it's not just this man who was lowered down by his four friends before Jesus that day who lived like that. It's everyone other than Jesus. Until we are forgiven for our sins, we are stuck in that same spiritual paralysis. This paralyzed man knew the, the hardships of being physical, physically crippled. We ourselves know that our bodies don't last forever. Maybe that's something that causes you concern. After almost a year and a half of knee troubles, I almost can't wait for that new body that God's promised. That we know that our bodies just don't last forever. But our souls, on the other hand, made in the image of God, they live forever. So the question is, what healing do we value more? The physical or the spiritual? And what healing do we see as being most important for ourselves? Do we want to remain in spiritual paralysis for eternity? Or do we want to respond to Jesus? Who Mark has made clear to us today has the power to forgive sins because he is God. And while Jesus came to earth to teach, to preach the word of God, he did that on the way to the cross, where he died to forgive all who might believe in him from their sins. He came that we might be provided with the means for, for healing from our sin. So as we look at this, as we look at this, we should ask ourselves, does our reaction line up with the crowd? Does our reaction line up with the people who are there in that room today? Because even though we're not hearing this with our ears in that same room, even though we're not seeing this with our eyes in that same room, we are still seeing God incarnate at work. This is what we see in Scripture here. An amazing God doing amazing things. Many of us know that same joy of healing, of being restored spiritually by our awesome God who sent Jesus to save us from our sins. Let's glorify God together. Let's glorify God together because he is able to heal us from any physical ailment. But more than that, Let's glorify God together because he can, and he does, forgive us from our sins. 
Let's glorify God together. Because he does do, has done, and will keep doing so much more for us than we could ever imagine. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for this incredible, incredible picture of Jesus here in Mark's Gospel this morning. We thank you for it. We rejoice at seeing so clearly these wonderful things that Jesus did. This incredible proof that he is God and that you can forgive sins. We pray that we might remember this. We pray that we might not be so proud that we don't come to you in prayer in forgiveness of sins. And we pray also that we might make the most of that healing that you have done for us. To live joyfully, to live freely and to live gladly knowing that you have saved us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, to finish off this morning, uh, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Uh, this is what we read there. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen.